Albert Einstein, Mozart, Pablo Picasso, Isaac Newton, Thomas Edison are some of the geniuses we look up to. But what really is a genius? Who are they? Is it possible for an average man or woman to become a genius? Let's talk about that. Three, two, one. If you look up the word genius on Google, you'll be bombarded by multiple definitions. Very great ability or skill in a particular subject or activity, very great and rare natural ability or skill in a particular area such as science or art, an exceptional natural capacity of intellect, especially as shown in creative and original work in science, art, music. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 8-Minute Master. I'm your host, Jason, and with these definitions, we can make up that genius refers to someone with an extraordinary ability in a particular science or art. The modern image of genius is symbolized by a light bulb. We see geniuses as someone who is engrossed in their craft. They are alone, are always researching, they come up with all their original ideas and have an aha moment. Let's take the discovery of gravity for example. We have romanticized the idea that Isaac Newton was one day napping under a tree and suddenly an apple fell on him. And then he came up with the concept of gravity. Or when Archimedes found out about buoyancy, he had his Eureka moment. The latter has been written by Vitruvius, a Roman writer who wrote a book on architecture nearly 200 years after the incident in the bathtub. Epiphany or a striking revelation appearing almost out of nowhere is the primary cause of revelation to us outsiders. I use the word outsider because we are not experts in their field of research. Geniuses are seen as people who possess the highest level of creativity because after all, their work is the most original. Creativity in the modern day is a secret. Despite the topic having hundreds of books published, there is a lesser known fact. The creativity that we know about today came into being during the Age of Enlightenment around the 18th century. Before this century, people used to relate creativity with divine beings because only they could create something from nothing. In 1926, an English psychologist named Graham Wallace published a book titled Art of Thought. He outlined that creativity occurs with the help of the unconscious mind and strong emotion. His model for creativity occurs in four stages. His theory starts off with preparation, which encompasses all the data gathering and after data collection, incubation starts. You take a step back from your project and in this stage, your unconscious mind wanders. You stay open to ideas as you do mundane work. After a while, illumination occurs. Illumination is the aha moment where you strike a sudden solution for the problem. And finally, verification. This is where everything comes along, evaluation of the aha moment is conducted, 
analysis and further idea building constitutes this phase. However, the romanticized eureka moment where our brain seems to take a leap into the unknown is just one facet of the process of creation. The candle experiment conducted by psychologist Carl Dunker explains how thinking happens in small incremental steps and not by leaps. The problem that needed to be solved was how to fix and light a candle on a corkboard wall in a way that the candle won't drip on the table below it. Along with the candle, the participants could only use matches and a box of thumbtacks. Along with the thumbtacks, of course. The solution was to empty the box of thumbtacks, use the thumbtacks to nail the box to the wall, put the candle into the box, and light the candle with a match. Dunker saw that the participants explored other creative ideas such as directly sticking the candle into the wall using the thumbtacks or melting the wax and using it to stick the candle to the wall. And through the process of trial and error, some of the participants started to look at the bigger picture. They started to see that the box of thumbtacks can be used as candle holder. This is called insight. Dunker then thought that insight possibly happens with the help of thinking leaps. On further investigation, however, he asked the participants to think out loud and he studied their thought process. And ultimately, he saw how solutions for the problem were formed. It always came from small steps and not instantaneous leaps. The process of trial and error helped in problem solving. The participants first tried to figure out how to assemble the tacks and then how to secure the candle to the wall. And ultimately, they saw that the tack box can be used as a platform and the tack to secure the box into the wall. Every step of problem solving required in the experiment requires the use of conscious thinking. As I mentioned before, we are more interested in the destination, which is why when outsiders view the experiment, it may seem like the solution came suddenly, out of nowhere. But they did not see the process of trial and error happening inside the minds of the participants. They observed, assessed, iterated, and this built up the idea of creation. If trial and error and constant conscious presence are the keys to problem solving, then this would mean that ordinary steps are needed for extraordinary results. This is often overlooked, especially when we experience great progress out of nowhere. We forget those days where we made no progress at all. However, what we do underestimate is the ability of our average brain to work as if we're geniuses. A paper published by Alan Newell, Herbert Alexander Simon, and J.C. Shaw shows that creative thinking is the same for everyone. It is simply a special kind of problem-solving behavior. 
Now this shows that we are capable of creative thinking. We should not let the world's depiction of genius bring us down. We start to think that we are not gifted with creativity, we stop to try, and we wait on inspiring aha moments. We become fearful of committing mistakes, further preventing us from starting our creating process. But in the end, what really constitutes genius? A study done on musicians shows that talented musicians require the same amount of practice hours as any other. Musicians who have reached a high position in their field practiced for several hours a day. The funny thing is, John Sloboda and Jane Davidson saw in their study that there is no musician, talented or untalented, who practiced a lot and did not get outstanding results. Time and practice make everything seem natural and second nature. But in reality, one becomes creative by taking numerous steps and missteps, and in time, you become a master. It may be overly simplistic, but genius is accomplished through mastery, and mastery is obtained through hours and hours of practice. This is why I love the word master. It reveals the hard fact that hard work and commitment leads to genius. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, are born geniuses. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of today's episode. I'm really glad you made it till the end. I have been thinking of making a podcast episode regarding genius and mastery since the name of the podcast is 8-Minute Master. So next episode, we are going to talk about originality. Because we relate originality with creation and we think that a creation must be original. Yet, we disregard the fact that all creation stems from past creation. Nothing new will ever be made without the help of other people's work. So next episode will be about stealing, copying, borrowing, or whatever you want to call it. But till then, thank you for listening to 8-Minute Master. I'm your host, John Jason. And remember, keep working hard. And of course, mastering.